I am, I am truly, I know that Philippians is the epistle of joy, but I'm sorrowful today. <laughs> it's not over. I've saved my, the last verses for a, a, a beautiful concluding rehearsing of the gospel for next Sunday. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about that, but I'm also sad. I have enjoyed this. Um, this series, when I started it, I just entitled the whole series, Ode to Joy. And by the way, how about that message last week? Huh? Amen? What a good brother. Thank you so much, Pastor Jay. What a blessing that was. I got to tell you, it is a joy as a pastor to hear good preaching. It really is. And what a joy to, to listen to that this week and to be challenged by it and so blessed by what we, we heard uh, last week. So, Jay, I want to thank you again for that. That was, that was extremely well done. I love that cartoon. I should have put it up there from last week. It's a pickle jar. Twist the lid and not the scripture, right? I can do all things through Christ. And you're right, Jay. I have always wanted, I never, I might have to do that sometime, I do a short sermon series on the, on the top three scriptures taken out of context. That probably had to be one of them, I think. Is it just me? I know when I bought my Ford F-150 in the color white, all of a sudden everybody had one on the road. Have you, have you noticed that yourself? Is it just me? I, I, or, or every time I turn the Christian radio station on or listen to a podcast, I'm hearing Philippians everywhere. These, is it, is it, isn't that true? And it's because my ear is so in tune to it. And I hope yours is as well. I'm going to back up a little bit just for the sake of context, and I know you'll understand that. I do want to back up to verse 10 of Philippians 4. So if you've got your Bible open there, um, let's, let's read that. Uh, I'll read and you follow along with me. Here's what Paul says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be what, church? Boy, what a lesson. Right? What a lesson. J.C. Ryle, the great Bishop Ryle, said this. He said, um, two things are rare on the face of the earth. A young man who is humble and an old man who is content. True, huh? Contentment. Whatever state I'm in, I got to tell you, I wasn't as content in North Carolina last week as I am in Georgia, but I don't think it meant that kind of state. <laughs> Whatever I find my circumstances to be. Verse 12, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be what? Hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. Now here's verse 13 comes in. It's kind of a concluding statement. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not talking about opening a pickle jar. That's talking about I can, I can handle prosperity. I can handle poverty. My circumstances matter not. I can, do, I can, I can, I can live in both of those imposter worlds and not be affected with either pride or bitterness. Why? Because I'm content. Beautiful truth there. Verse 14, nevertheless, think about what he's saying. He's, he's telling them, I got your gift and, and, and I'm, I'm thankful, but I just want you to know I didn't need it. 
I did need it, but I didn't need it. I don't want you to think that I was worried. I, was, I wasn't worried. I'm content whether I've got nothing or I've got everything. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. It's a good thing that you did. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. And again, verse 17, look how he backs off of that a little bit. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I, I have all and abound. I'm full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you. And look how he describes this gift. A sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And look at this concluding remark as he wraps up this thank you for the gift. And my God shall supply how much? All your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Interesting, I've just entitled this one Kingdom Investing uh, here. And Paul gives us the proper way to view both need and abundance, both poverty and, 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 and overflowing and having extra. Like I said, I've, I've titled this whole series Ode to Joy. I really should have made a longer title, Ode to Joy from Jail. Right? That's where Paul lived. How in the world? Who writes a letter telling free people to have joy when you're sitting in jail? It doesn't make worldly sense, but it does make kingdom sense. And it's a letter of joy because joy is a God thing. Amen? It is not circumstance dependent. Joy is truth dependent. And think about what Paul is saying here. We tend to take these verses out of the historical context. When he says, I know how to abound, I know how to have all kinds, and I also know how to be abased. He's writing that while he's chained to a Roman centurion under house arrest. The same guy who was getting ready to take him outside and chain him to a post because he had run out of funds. You pay for your own jail back then. Government doesn't pay for that for you. Right? And Paul said, I, even though I've, I've got plenty now, I, I could have sat outside in the elements chained to a post because none of those things move me. I'm still joy-filled because joy is not dependent on my circumstances. It's dependent on the truth. We learned in review a little bit from chapter 1 that in order for joy to be a reality in our life, we must have a single mind. Paul says in 121, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I've got a single mind. We, we've, we learned in chapter 2, I must have a submissive mind. I need to come under the hand of, a, of an almighty good God. It can't be about me. How many of you know the recipe to misery is live for me, right? And misery loves what? Company, right? 
Man, humility. And it talks about the example of King Jesus. Talk about humble. Leaving heaven and not just leaving heaven and taking on humanity and wearing it like, like a cloak, but, but, but coming in the form of a bond slave. And then Paul says, I've, I've done the same. I've followed in his footsteps. So has Timothy. So has Epaphroditus. This is what God's men do. When life gets hard and we have a conflict, we go down, not up. We, we humble out. We have this submissive mind because we have a good God who is sovereign. Then in chapter 3, we learn that if we're going to be joyful, we need to have a spiritual mind. Verse 20, Paul reminds the Philippians, hey, our citizenship's not here. It's in heaven. And by the way, citizenship was a big deal in Philippi. Philippi was the clone colony of Rome. And you got this rare benefit. If you were a, to be a citizen of Philippi, meant being a citizen of Rome, which could cost tens of thousands of dollars in today's money. All you got to do is be a citizen in good standing in Philippi, and you got Roman citizenship. And Paul kind of uses this cultural play on words to remind him, hey, you know what? You think your citizenship in Philippi is something? That's nothing. We're citizens of heaven. We have a spiritual mind. And then in chapter 4, joy comes through a secure mind. How many of you know that when your mind wanders, it usually doesn't end up in good places? Amen. You ever done that? Uh, we we got to watch that mind wandering. You know, why is it that we have passwords for everything? but our mind and our thinking, right? We just let stuff come right in. We need to have a password for your thinking. And here's your password, King Jesus. That's your password, right? Any, any thought that comes to your mind, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, you need to put that thing in handcuffs and make it bow to the authority of King Jesus. We need to think about what we're thinking about. A secure mind leads us to a joyful life. In chapter 4, he tells us that through, um, that joy comes through correct thinking. And today, we're going to see that a secure mind is ensured not just by correct thinking, but by consistent thanksgiving. So you want to ensure this joy-filled existence? We must have not only correct thinking, but consistent thanksgiving. How do we do that? Through kingdom investing, both giving and receiving. So join me in this, mining this rich text today. And we'll discover the result of a joy-birthed contentment. A joy-birthed contentment. So let's look at the remembering in verses 14 through 16. We're just going to walk through the text this morning. There's no better thing that we could do and no better way we could spend our time than looking at God's Word, not man's ideas, God's Word. Amen? So let's look at verse number 14. He opens with this word, nevertheless. He's just thanked them for this gift. He's just told them, I received your gift. I got it. It all came here. Nevertheless, what is, what is he saying? That is, he's going back to his contentment. I'm content. I can do everything. I can, I, can, I can suffer need or I can be overflowing because I'm in Christ. Christ strengthens me. Nevertheless, even though that's true, let me, let me say this. You have done well that you shared in my distress. Notice here, Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't rewrite history. He was in trouble. You shared in my what? Distress. I'm, I was out of money, which means I was fixing to be taken outside and chained to the post till some more money came in. I had to pay for these guys that I'm chained to. I had to pay for this house that I'm staying in. I had to pay for my food. I was out. I was distressed, but I wasn't worried. 
How many of you know you can be distressed and not worried? Amen. So how many of your circumstances can go south and you can stay north? Amen. And that's what Paul's saying here. Verse 15. Now you Philippians. He said, let me tell you something I know about you people. <laughs> you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed to Macedonia, that's, by the way, that's where, that's where Philippi was. Philippi is his first landing spot in Macedonia. By the way, when you see Macedonia there, let me give you a little geography lesson. Think Europe. This is the first time the good news of King Jesus steps foot on shore in the continent of Europe. Paul had no intention of going there, but the Spirit did. Beautiful story how he gets there. But he says, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving, receiving, but only you. He said, you're the ones that took, you have a history of generosity. In the beginning of the gospel, when I started to bring the gospel to Europe, you were the people that supported me. And then he says in verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, the next place he goes after Philippi, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not only were, did they have a history of generosity, listen, they had a consistency of generosity, right? They were consistent in their generosity. Man, when I went to Thessalonica and left you guys under duress, if you remember, you, you helped me out financially when I went to Thessalonica. And he unpacks this more um, uh, in, in his other writings where he says, you know, you, you, you gave to me so that I could, I could spend my time preaching the gospel at no charge. I didn't need to raise money from the very people I was going to share the gospel with because you people jumped in and helped me. So the, so the Philippians had this history of generosity. They also had a consistency in generosity. And I just wonder right here, do, do you have a history of generosity? And are you consistent in your kingdom investing? They were, very much so. I've really thought today even with the economy the way it is, and, and things, things are hard and getting harder. Has anybody looked at your gas bill lately? Well, it makes me thankful that we're not up north and having to try to heat the house with, with oil. Um, but, you know, things are getting harder. But you know what? We're still, I'm amazed. I went to the state fair with my kids uh, this year. Um, people spending a lot of money. You know, what was, what was it? Uh, Sixteen or eighteen dollars for a turkey leg. Now that turkey leg, I want to see the turkey that that came off of. Actually, I, I would like to see that. I don't know what they're feeding that thing, but the, they are huge. <laughs> uh, people are spending money like crazy. We're still spending it, right? But I, I, I come to realize a long time ago there is not much. If you think about categories of your life, how do we show? How do we demonstrate that we're really trusting in God and not in what, not in money or not in ourselves? I only found two areas in my life and the doors closed on one of them. Um, the one the doors closed on is, is children. Many years ago, um, under God's sovereign plan, I heard a guy in, in my when I was first married, give a teaching on trusting God for the size of your family. 
and not using birth control, which is a crazy idea. I get that. And I came home with this great idea. And I shared that with my wife, and she thought I was crazy. <laughs> well, it wasn't much later, Paul Jr. showed up. <laughs> and then seven more just like him. <laughs> uh, you know, I, that was the one of the few areas I could, I could discover in my life, in, our, in, our, in our, our life together, that we could say, Lord, we're just going to trust you. Right? We're just going to trust you that you're going to give us the children that you want us to have. Right? What other areas can we really just take our hands off and say, God, you, you, you take the reins here? And I'll never forget, um, we came here with four kids. And we had, I think we were pregnant with Sam, pregnant with somebody. And we were up at the clubhouse having an event. And one of the, the son, adult son, of one of our older members came up to me and, and said, I heard you guys were expecting again. I said, yeah. He, he, said, he literally said to me, he goes, I think that's the most irresponsible thing I've ever heard of. Wow. I, said, I said, really? I said, tell me why. And here's a guy who's not even married, never been married. He says, do you know how much it costs to raise a child from, from birth through college? I'm thinking to myself, and you know, but do you? <laughs> I mean, you're not even married. <laughs> And right now, I think I can figure out why you're not married, but I digress. Uh, I, said, I said, no. And he said, well, well, I said, I'll tell you what, I'll answer that question if you answer one of mine. And he said, all right, what's your question? I said, do you have credit card debt? He said, what's that got to do with this situation? I said, just humor me. Do you have credit card debt? He said, yes. I said, well, I don't. I said, and the Bible says that children are a blessing and debt is a curse, and I'd rather have my blessing than your curse. And I just can't, I just heard that coming out of my mouth. And you got to be careful that I think that's, that is a very personal decision between a husband, a wife, and God. So I'm not going to stand up here and say, all of you should do that. I would never say that. But I just tell you, that's what, that was one of the few areas of my life, my Christian experience, that I could say, you know what, God, you're God, I'm not, and I'm, we're just going to trust you. And whatever you do, we're going to say that's you and not us. And it was great. The other area, there's another area that all of us can be involved in, and that's in kingdom generosity. Right? And, and not just giving, but giving generously. I, I heard a wise man say one time that uh, we, as Christians, we should give till it hurts. And then he corrected. He said, no, you need to, if it hurts when you're giving, you need to keep giving until it doesn't hurt. Because if it hurts, it means you're still too attached to it. You need to give until it doesn't hurt. And you know what? Praise God by His kindness. I think I'm, I think I'm finally in, my, in, a, in the last uh, uh, quarter of my life, I think I'm finally starting to come to that. It doesn't hurt. Matter of fact, there, that's what Jay talks about all the time. There, there's, a cheerful, there's a cheerfulness to it. And we're going to see why. We're going to see why here after this remembering. Because in verse 17, we're going to see the reality. Look at verse 17. The reality in verse 17. Paul says this. And he wants to be really clear that he's, um, he's making sure they understand his needs versus his wants. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift. I'm not looking for anything from you people. You've been so generous, you got a history of it, you're still doing it after all these years. But 
I, I, I'm not looking to you for the answer for the gift, but here's what, I, here's what I do want from and for you. But I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Did you see that? Paul said, look, I'm not, I'm not looking to you to meet my needs, but, but, but here's what I, I'm letting you know those needs because I know that when you give, that God puts rewards in your account. There's fruit in that. And, and notice it says, not just a little bit, it what? It abounds to your account. You, you think you're depositing into my prison account. What you're really depositing in is your blessing account. And it abounds. God, God pays uh, compounding interest, amen, on what we, what we give and what we feed into the kingdom and what we invest into the kingdom. And people that have stepped out on faith and trusted God in this area of their life you people could sit up, come up here and testify, couldn't you, this morning, about God's covenant faithfulness through generosity. It's just, it, it doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't, but it, it's true. It is so true. Matthew, just jot this down in your outline, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Here's what the scripture says. Jesus talking in the middle of his greatest and, he, and hardest, this is a harsh sermon, this sermon on the mount doesn't leave anybody standing by the time Jesus is done. But look what he says in his instructions. Just do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Where moth and rust destroy. If the moth and rust doesn't get it, the thieves will get it. And where thieves break through and steal. What was he saying? This, this stuff's so temporary. But, now here's your contrasting conjunction. Lay up or deposit for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, where there's no moth, and there's no rust, and there are no thieves. Now, verse 21 is the key. Such a powerful truth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. How many of you realize today that your heart always follows your investments, not the other way around? Your heart follows your investments. It's so true. Years ago, there was a, a song, and I love I used to sing it. I don't even know if I could find the soundtrack anymore, but it was just simply called, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. Anybody remember that song? Listen to these words. It just... I can still hear the music as, as I read these words. The, the lyrics go like this. I dreamed I went to heaven and, and you were there with me. We walked upon the street of gold beside the crystal sea. We heard those angels singing and then someone called your name. We turned and saw a young man running and he was smiling as he came. And he said, friend, you may not know me now. And then he said, but wait. You used to teach my Sunday school when I was only eight. And every week you would say a prayer before that class would start. And, and one day when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus in my heart. And the chorus says, thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that's been changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. And then it, take, it broadens it out in the second verse. He says, Then another man stood before you and said, Do you remember the time that that missionary came to your church and, and his pictures made you cry? And you didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. 
I want you to know Jesus took the gift you gave. And that's why I'm here today. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. When we give and we take that money and we, we send it to our missionaries, when they, when God uses them to bear fruit, I think of Seth Lewis and in that, in that hard country of Ireland. You know, what did he tell us? It's like, it's like he said, uh, evangelizing in Ireland is like plowing granite. And yet God is blessing. They're seeing Irish men and women repent of their sins, put their faith in Jesus, and be baptized in a very cold ocean. Publicly. Following Christ. Listen, when that happens, that fruit abounds to your account because you have given. That's what Paul's saying here. I'm just jealous for, for uh, this reality. That I want, the, I want the fruit to abound to your account. I want you to have a full bank account when you get to heaven. Here's the reality of this, and we'll move on to verse 18. Treasure in heaven is laid up only as treasure on earth is laid down. Yeah. <laughs> there's, no, there's no other way to do that, is there? We've got to lay it down in order to lay it up and deposit it in heaven. Uh, number three is the reception in verse 18. He says, indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, and well-pleasing to God. This is another way of saying in the first part of this, hey, I got it all. I got everything you sent, and wow, what a, what a generous blessing this has been to me that you sent by the way of Epaphroditus. And if you recall, Epaphroditus gets sick halfway there. When he gets to Paul, he's almost dead, right? God is gracious to him and raises him back up. But Paul says, no, you got to go home. Let me, let me get you well and send you back home so my, my heart can rest knowing that you're there. But I got it all. I got everything that you sent. And what a blessing. I am, I'm abounding. I'm, I've got more than enough. I am full now, notice how he describes their gift, though. Three ways. He said, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. This is a not-so-subtle uh, throwback to the Old Testament sacrificial system, right? Um, what do you do with that sacrifice? You burn it on the altar. And I know you're thinking to yourself, well, how can that smell good? Have you ever walked in the house and, and your wife is cooking a Thanksgiving turkey in the oven? You all remember that smell? I mean... Be, I just want to take it out and eat it raw. <laughs> you know, one of these days, we, they're going to make a turkey that's nothing but skin because that's all I want is the skin. <laughs> and my wife, think, my wife is disgusted by the skin, so we have a great relationship. <laughs> I eat all the skin, and then she has the rest of it. But you know that smell? There's nothing like the smell of turkey. That's why in a couple of weeks we're going to have that for lunch here together. And we're going, to, we're going to just enjoy a time of Thanksgiving with church family. And I want to encourage you, even if you don't normally stay, please stay that week. There's something about that, that smell. It's just, man, it just makes your taste better. Matter of fact, we're getting hungry right now. You say, I wish that preacher would, would hurry up and get done. That, that smells really good. But um, God likes that. For some reason, when we're generous, when we're kingdom investing and, and we're generous and we're consistent in doing that, 
I don't know how this works, but it smells good to God. Right? It's like, it's like, we, it's, it's like we have just taken that, we have just laid it on the altar, and, and it's consumed for the glory of God. And God said, man, that's, that smells so good, guys. Thank you. This is great. God is pleased when we're generous. That's the reception. Now, verse 19, I've just broken that down a little bit. Um, that's a reception of verse 18. And verse 19, I've broken that down a little bit further. Um, and I want to do that real quick, and then we'll, we'll go see if we can find something that smells good for lunch, right? <laughs> First thing I want you to notice in verse 19 is the relationship. Notice what Paul says, and my God. Everyone say, my God. My God. And my God. That is a personal relationship. My God. This is somebody, Paul knew who his God was, and he knew that he belonged to God. And my God. It's pretty plain that God was Paul's personal God, but here's the question. Is he yours? Do you know God personally? Not about him. You can sit out there and spout the theology all day long. Long, But do you know him? And more importantly, <laughs> does he know you? The relationship. Here's the resource in the, in the next phrase. And my God shall supply all your need. You see that there? My God shall supply all your need. By the way, it says needs, not greeds. There's a lot of stuff I want that I don't need. Amen, church? Yeah. Right? That's, that's, why, that's why I don't run my house as a democracy. Because the immature outnumber the mature. We would have cake and candy for every meal. Right? That's what they want, but it's not what they need. That's why I tell them I, I run a benevolent dictatorship. <laughs> right? Because I know better what they need versus what they want. Sometimes we have a hard time understanding that. Romans 8.32, beautiful Beautiful verse of scripture as Paul is unpacking what God has done for us. Uh, and he talks about the ordo salutis, which is the order of salvation in 29 and 30, which is absolutely gorgeous. And then verse 31, he says, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Notice the word all God is not going to withhold anything from you that you need to make much of Him. It's hard to be satisfied, isn't it? But we must believe this. We must hold on to this on the days when it's hard to write that check. On days when it's hard to have your plans changed. When you've saved that money for something and the Holy Spirit comes and, and says, you know what? It needs to go here. Don't be, don't be attached to it. Be content and watch what God does. God supplies all our need. Because here's the reality. The hand that gives gathers. Isn't that true? The hand that gives gathers. Keep on casting your bread upon the water. And after many, not many days, men will give to you overflowing and abounding. That's how God does. We, little is much when God is in it. The hand that gives gathers.
George Mueller said this, Our Heavenly Father never takes anything from His children unless He means to give them something better in return. How true is that? Oh, we need to trust Him today. Amen, church? Number four in the middle part of that verse, But my God shall supply all your need, look at the riches, according to His riches in glory. How many of you know our Father is loaded? <laughs> Amen. Now we say that. We say, oh yeah, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. Okay, we say that, but do we really believe that? Is that borne out by our experience in our kingdom investing? Who are we trusting? In other words, that's, God's after your heart. He's got the wealth. He doesn't need, he doesn't need, God doesn't need your offering. That's what Paul was saying. I didn't need your offering, but I wanted it for you. Because now that's a, you just sent that forward into heaven. God's got the wealth. He wants your heart. And that's what investing does. Because remember, your, your, your heart follows your what? Your investments. And as we invest in the kingdom, it focuses our hearts on what matters. One man put it this way. He said, God shovels it in and I shovel it out. But he's got a bigger shovel than I do. <laughs> Amen? Isn't that the truth? How many of you experienced that in your life? Yeah, I shovel it in. God shovels it out. But, oh, God's, God, or God shovels it in. I shovel it out. His shovel's bigger. I never can get to the bottom. And then the last one is this realm. Uh, in Christ Jesus. But my God shall supply how much of your needs? All of your needs. According to what? His riches in glory. In Christ Jesus. The book that my pastor friend loaned me called The Message of Philippians by J.A. Moyer, he says this at the end of that about this phrase. This blessed me when I read it. I just want to share it with you. Here's what Moyer says. He says, he, he mediates to us, he being Christ, mediates to us all the benefits and blessings of God. More than that, he is himself the sum of all blessings. For the preposition is not through, but in. He is not a channel along which the blessings flow, but a place in which the blessings are deposited. That's another way of saying Jesus is the blessing. In Christ Jesus. What a beautiful truth that is today, this realm. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And this is why Paul could be content, chained to a Roman centurion in a rented house and tell them about joy. He was a truly and fully contented man. Benjamin Franklin said, being content makes poor men rich and being discontent makes rich men poor. And I would say to you today that contentment is the fruit of joy. Because joy thrives in the face of circumstances. And as we have said, joy is not circumstance dependent, but rather joy is truth dependent. Truth dependent. And I think Jesus said, I am the way and the what? The truth. And the life. 
I'm reminded of the story. I've, I've used this before. It's one of my favorite ways to illustrate the preeminence of Jesus as the Son of God. There was a very wealthy aristocrat in England who had quite an estate and his, he had a penchant for the greatest works of art the world has ever seen. He had but one son, his pride and joy. And that son was, along with all the sons of England, during the Great War was called to battle. And the day came that the father received the horrible news that his son had been lost in that battle and gave his life. The man went into a deep depression, the loss of his son. And they say he eventually grieved himself to death. After his death, it was, there was a, an auction that was organized to dispense with these priceless works of art that graced the walls of his mansion. And the day came and the people came in droves to get their hands on these priceless works of art. And the auctioneer got up and called the auction to order. And he said, the first piece that will be auctioned today is the portrait of this man's son that hangs over the mantle in this great room. When he said that, the people became upset. They said, we didn't come for that. We came for the real works of art. He said, no, it is in the will. This must be, this must be the first art that is sold today. He said, do I hear an opening bid for the portrait of the sun? And there was silence in the room, a deafening silence. Until from the back of the room, the old caretaker of the estate stepped forward. He said, sir, I have but 10 pounds to buy name, but I bid all that I have for my master's son. The auctioneer said, surely there is a bid greater than this. Nothing but silence. He said, I have 10 pounds. Going once, going twice. And a gavel came down, sold to the man in the back row. At that time there was a relief among the crowd until the gavel came down a second time. And the auctioneer said, the auction is now closed. And the place erupted in anger. What can you mean by that? We came all this way to purchase these great works of art. And it took him a minute, but the auctioneer finally hushed the crowd and he said, let me read to you directly from the will. This great man. And he said, all... There is to be an auction. The first and only piece to be auctioned off is that of my son. And he who takes the son gets it all. 
The only wise enough man in the room was the caretaker who had loved that son and taken care of that home. And he now was the wealthiest man in the kingdom. Have you taken him? You see, the only way to be content and to be generous is to know that there is a great reward for you. And the reward is not funds. It's not influence. It's not recognition. The reward is a person. Your reward is the son. When you have the son, you have it all. And I want to say to you in closing today, when you have not the son, you have nothing. Oh no, I want to say to our young people today, <laughs> I envy you a little bit. In one sense, I envy your youth. All for a chance to go do it all over again. Amen, old people? <laughs> There's some things I change. You know, what, you know what the main thing I would change is? I would take my own advice. I would not, I would not, I would worry a lot less. I would invest a lot more, and I'd be more fearless. I would realize that it's not my life. I, I, don't, I don't own the title to my life. That deed was laid down at the foot of an old rugged cross. I'm, I'm his. David put it this way, that, Lord, you are my portion and my great reward. I would live that out more consistently. I would worry less, smile more, and I would invest heavily. And I would put God to more of a test. So I want to close today and ask you that question. Do you have the Son? He is our reward. And when we have Him, God can, God can let flow through our hands so much wealth and it will never affect us. Just like it, just, it couldn't touch Paul. There was no corrupting Paul because he didn't live for this world. He lived for the next one. And all that we would do the same as we invest in the kingdom. Would you stand with me today? We're going to sing a song, one of my favorites, in just a minute. But maybe you're here today and you need to, you need to have the sun. Maybe you need to Repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus. You can do that right where you stand. You can come up and talk to me. You can go see Pastor Jay. Do you have him? He who has a son gets it all. He who has not the son has nothing. Father, we come to you today thanking you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanking you for what he did in obedience to you that you might be glorified and we ask that you you help us to search our own hearts is, is it hard to give is it hard to drop that check in the offering on Sunday morning or is it not is it easy because we realize it's not ours anyway to begin with it all belongs to you. May you give us joy.
for the journey. And may we look to heaven as our reward. To the son who sits on a throne at your right hand of your majesty. May we worship you with our life through a single mind, a submissive mind, a spiritual mind, and a secure mind. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.